This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. The Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. The Reds back to winning ways. Curtis Jones with the bite. Liverpool have been missing in attack ahead of a crunch clash with Chelsea to come. We'll be looking back on the win over Sheffield United, discussing and debating the standout stars in the Steel City before turning our attentions to Thursday night's visit of Chelsea. Alongside me are our chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle, Connor Dunn and Theo Squires. Doily, I'll come to you first. It wasn't the prettiest of games, but Liverpool getting the job done and getting back to winning ways. Yeah, they did. I just want to say great alliteration in your intro there, by the way. Very good. How are you, by the way, Guy? We, we seem to not be asking each other how we are these days. Does it just get too confusing? Yeah, I think I think with us not being able to actually have eye contact with people, it, it was a bit of sort of a delay and confusion as to, as to how everyone was. But I'm absolutely fine. I hope you, uh-huh. hope all of you guys are as well. I'm pleased to hear that. Pleased to hear that. Anyway, going back to the game. Yeah, much needed win. I mean, let's be honest, Sheffield United are rubbish. Um, they're a team who, who kind of know that they're going down and they're already planning for life in the Championship next season. But you've still got to beat them. And uh, I think Chelsea, I'm right in saying they were... Was that 2-1 that they won at, uh, at Bramall Lane not that long ago? I think it was... Uh, I think they were one, won all at one point, I think. Uh, United obviously lost at home to them as well, so... But yeah, Liverpool, they got the job done. And I must admit, you know, I've, I've said this quite a while. At Leicester, I thought Liverpool played well. Against Everton at Patches, they played all right. Against Leipzig, they were good. I mean, the performances have been have been coming, but they've not quite been getting the consistent results. But, you know, it seemed for a while as though it was going to be another one of those stories of, you know, Aaron Ramsdale, who I've, I think I've said before, where at the start of the season, we were tipped to, 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 you know, who we thought were going to be the big winners and losers of the season, the worst transfers. And I thought Aaron Ramsdale would be terrible at Sheffield United. And it's kind of been proven to be that. But for 45 minutes, he ended up being Manuel Neuer. So that was uh, one of those things that we've had to cope with. But they got the goal in the end through Curtis Jones, as Jurgen Klopp said afterwards, that he'd they'd had a bit of a chat with the coaching team with uh, Curtis Jones during the week where he'd said, basically, you need to get yourself into more attacking positions, which anybody who'd seen him play at the under-23s, that's where he, he was forever doing that. But he doesn't seem to have... You know, it's been hard for him, hasn't it, really? Because I think he's been a bit unlucky to be substituted in some recent games. But... He's now making a difference with you know with the goal. It was uh, set up by Trent Alexander-Arnold, who did well to keep the ball in. He had another very good game, I thought. So, all in all, there were positives to take from it. You know, Adrian did okay in goal, even if afterwards Jurgen Klopp kind of admitted what we already knew, that he's now third-choice goalkeeper between the sticks. Nat Phillips had a very good game, I think. we can Obviously, we, I think we can talk a bit more about him in a bit. I think he's become Liverpool's first-choice centre-back. So, and Roberto Firmino, as far as I'm concerned, that's his goal. It was on target. It was going in. You know, he took the deflection, which which helped Liverpool, but it's still a shot on target. I don't see why it should be taken away from it him. Definitely wasn't going on about, target, yeah, it was going about five yards. Was, was, was it? Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it was well, no idea. <laughs> 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 you still not seen a replay. Was it really going five yards? Yeah, 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 yeah miles easy. Oh dear. Okay, ignore everything I just said then about the Roberto Firmino's goal. But at least he got a shot. He got a shot on target the first half, as as opposed to a little bit later on where he decided not to have a shot. But, you know, they, they all count. Um, I'm slightly disappointed now. I actually thought that would have been his goal anyway. Um, but hopefully it'll do him a bit of good. And I thought that one or two other players were OK. I'm still a bit concerned about Kabak. I mean, a great finish for his goal. Uh, but he was he was he was always he was always uh, he was always he, he knew that it was the offside. It was funny because the minute he did it, he, before it even gone in the net, he was like, that's offside. 
and uh, you know the, the guy clearly was for Sheffield United but that kind of underlined a bit of a problem that Liverpool had in the first half where they weren't talking to each other and Klopp was on the touchline, you know, tell, imploring them to start talking to each other. And in fact, after that own goal, he even said please at the end of it. So you know, it, did, it did you know, show that, you know, there's still things to be worked on. But overall, Liverpool won and they're only three points off the top four. So while, you know, they'd had four consecutive defeats, they're still very much in the running with Chelsea to come on Thursday. Yeah, flown through the agenda there, Doyle. Thanks for uh, <laughs> joining us for this edition of the Borough Podcast. Uh, well, you can't tell me what you're talking about. <laughs> no, that is what, that, of course, we're going to get into it all in, in more depth. But Connor, as uh, Doyle said there, it, it felt as though sort of Aaron Ramsdale had had some of what Sam Johnston and Carl Darlow sort of had at the beginning of this sticky run of form for Liverpool, a, a relegation threatened goalkeeper having the game of his career. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, You've got a goalkeeper that had kept one clean sheet in 24 Premier League games, suddenly pulling out weldy stops from Trent and Salah and just looks absolutely on flames. And you just thought, oh, is this going to be another one of those? Um, I don't think you can call his stop from Firmino kicking it straight at him one-on-one a weldy save. I was rather annoyed with that, to be honest. I think you're never going to get a better chance than that against a team that sits deep. And you've got to be putting that away as a number nine. But I'm sure we'll come on to Firmino in a bit more detail. But yeah, I mean... Liverpool still got the goals, didn't they? I mean, Ramsdale isn't the best of goalkeepers and it kind of proved to be in the end, really. Um, and it was kind of an inevitability almost, but it did feel for a little while that he was going to have one of those performances that have happened a couple of times against Liverpool this season. Yeah, definitely. It sort of had a, a bit of a feel as well, Theo, when he, when Firmino went through and missed that opportunity, maybe Origi v Burnley, Salah v Brighton, that you thought, oh, is that the one? But they sort of really had the bit between their teeth. They weren't going to let this one get away. And there was that real determination by hook or by crook, whoever it was to step up and be the star. It was Curtis Jones in the end, but ensure that Liverpool did get back to winning ways at any cost. Yeah, there was a bit more about Liverpool in this one. You could tell they kept getting attacks in and there was a bit more confidence. Um, they had faith in the chances that creating that a goal would come. But at the same time, there was a surprise when it did actually come. Obviously, there's the debate of whether it stayed in or not and it's which replay you trust to whether it stayed in. I think watching the actual video of it, you can see miles in. Definitely the correct decision to allow the goal. But I think even Jurgen Klopp's celebrations was when that second came. It was a big sigh of relief, a big jubilant yes Liverpool are getting back to winning ways and it's one of those where the keeper looks like he's had a good game but most of them aren't really what you wouldn't expect him to save like if you've got it low at your near post you expect to keep it to save it with his legs if it's going sort of near the top corner you expect him to save it for me knows sat him he should save it and he does save it same for Adrian at the other end. He made a few good saves, but it's nothing you really wouldn't expect a world-class keeper to make. So if Allison's there, you're probably not giving it the same amount of praise. But it's a sign of Liverpool's position at the time that you think any half chance, any good chance is going to be wasted. Um, you want Firmino to show, show a bit more killer instinct. I'm not sure what was more frustrating. In fact, he didn't score that chance when he's got this massive opening and just put it either side of the keeper and it's a goal or when he passed to Mane, or tried to pass to Mane when it's basically goal gaping. But they got there in the end um, to win by two goals as well. It's a, a rare feeling this season. So I hope it can be a much-needed confidence boost going into Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, there's a similar one. Sorry, just let me interject that, actually. Just when you're talking, and it just remind me, so Mane, when Mane had that shot, I think it was against... Um, who was it against? When he um, West Ham, when he was when he fouled Masawaku and the ball came across to Jota, similar positions where Firmino was, 
and Josh just belts it in the goal. And that's exactly where Firmino basically was on that left-hand side. Just, I don't really understand the non-shooting there, but hey, he had a shot and it went in after in the second half, so can't complain too much. Yeah, we, we will get into talking a bit more about Roberto Firmino in a bit, but just a second clean shoot as well in 10 games. So Adrian coming into the side and, and doing his bit. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Doyle, on Curtis Jones, five starts in a row now. Of course, he, he's got that goal and you said he was sort of working on getting into those positions, but seems to really be growing and developing into sort of a, a regular first choice option. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he has benefited from basically so many players being injured in midfield. You got to, you know, Cater came on for the last few minutes, and then it was only on for a few minutes. I think it was ten minutes in the end, but I thought it looked quite lively. And he's somebody in Liverpool who have missed in terms of his ability to to look forward and bring the ball forward. I know that Thiago does that in terms of his passing, but there haven't really been any other players apart from Curtis Jones at times who've been willing to run and and get up to the front three. I think Juan Alder did it a little bit towards the end of the game as well. And it was noticeable, wasn't it, when he went on those runs and suddenly Liverpool were on this. I think Liverpool haven't... I think they, they have been kind of worried doing that because of everything that's been happening at centre-back. You've got to remember, Juan Alder's been playing in a defensive midfield role. And I think because there hasn't really been for a long time that kind of defensive solidity, they've been a bit worried going forward. And as, as Theo said, there haven't been many times lately where they've been two goals ahead and they've been able to you know, perhaps commit a few more players forward so for Curtis Jones, I think that has been coming against Manchester City. I thought he had a good game against Leicester, perhaps not quite as good. But both times when he got substituted, Liverpool were, I think they were drawn against City and they were ahead against Leicester. Against Everton, he was somebody who was always looking to, to, to take the ball on and bring it forward. But it was against uh, Sheffield United on Sunday, it was more noticeable. That was quite clearly his job. There was a few tactical changes in, in midfield. It seemed as though Mane was perhaps a little bit more central, certainly in the first half, which gave Jones a bit more uh, space to, to to get in down the left. And for him to be the one to have been, you know, arriving inside the area to get onto that Trent knockback was interesting because you wouldn't expect Firmino to be there, would you? And that's kind of where you'd normally expect the number nine. So to have a midfielder who's able to do that, it's great for Liverpool, I think, it, there's going to be more of that from Curtis Jones between now and the end of the season. I, I think he has become a integral player. You, you saw what uh, Jurgen Klopp said after the game as well. He said, look, there's loads more to come because there is. You've got to bear in mind he's only, I think I'm right in saying he's only 20. This is his first full season in the Premier League. It's only his second Premier League goal, but he's also scored a winner in the Champions League this season against Ajax. Scored a, scored a few in the in the League Cup as well. So he's somebody Klopp said it last season. We're going to have a, a lot of fun with him this term. It's probably played a, a, a bit more than he would have expected, but it's it's benefited Jones because he's, he's shown maturity. He's never been one to lack confidence or self-belief, let's be honest about that. But he, he's he's kind of backing it up, isn't he? He's backing up his belief with, with what he's doing on the pitch. And Okay, I know he had that mistake against West Brom back in, in December, but that's what happens with young players. They are going to do that, but he's learning from it. Since then, he hasn't really made put a foot wrong. He, he He's been aggressive when he's needed to be. He's got in the box and he's starting to deliver in terms of numbers as well. Definitely. Theo, in terms of sort of Liverpool's midfield makeup, then, is he in the strongest 11, regardless of injuries that have now given him this chance? Of course, we're expecting Wijnaldum to move on in the summer. He's been playing in that sixth role and it's sort of really allowed Thiago and Jones to sort of get a bit of an understanding in those more sort of two more advanced midfield positions. I just wonder when sort of Fabinho and Henderson are fit, would you stick with Jones in that midfield? 
It's a tough one to call because it depends what Thiago Alcantara we're seeing. If you've seen the Thiago that has been this world-class midfielder for Spain, for Barcelona, for Bayern Munich, he's got to start, doesn't he? He's not quite at it yet. He's still finding his feet. Obviously, it's not helped him that Virgil van Dijk's been out and he's not had a chance to be in this strongest midfield setup. But it's hard to leave Jones out on current form because he is making impact whenever he plays. You forget how young he is because it's always such an immature performance. And usually you expect youngsters to make a lot of mistakes. Granted, there was the one against West Brom, but he hasn't made too many. He is making these landing blows in games. Um, I think if you're in a big game, like say last day of the season, everyone's fit. Liverpool will have to win to qualify for the Champions League. You'd probably see Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago. But that's not, not taking anything away from Curtis Jones because he has had a sensational season. Arguably, he doesn't get the credit he deserves from elsewhere. Like At the moment, there are so many good attacking English youngsters in midfield right the way from like Saka, Foden to more older ones like Madison and Grealish. And he sort of goes under the radar, but he's one of the younger ones there who can do a bit of everything. He's leading by example and he's making this impact when Liverpool have been lacking a lot of bodies. And you think, well, if he's getting the game time now, what can he do when he is given this chance in the strongest side? Because Thiago, we know he's been signed as this world-class option, but he's not a long-term prospect, is he? He's going to do like three, four years and then it's going to be passing on the bat. And he is there to give Jones' experience the same way Stephen Gerrard learned from Gary McAllister and Jamie Redknapp at the start of his career. And as Doyley said, Jürgen Klopp made that um, claim that we're going to have a lot of fun with Curtis Jones. And we're certainly seeing the signs of that now. Um, he might not be in that first-choice midfield trio when everyone is fitting on form. But I'd say he's probably the first one off the bench ahead of Cater, ahead of Oxlade-Chamberlain, ahead of Wijnaldum when he's making the impact that he is. Big statement that, isn't it, Connor? That he's he's kind of jumped ahead of Oxlade Chamberlain and, and Cater whilst they've been out injured. Jurgen Klopp hasn't had to rush those midfield options back like he's had to do with the centre halves. And Jones, as I say, five starts in a row now. And Doyle referenced it before, really, in those Man City and Leicester games. Before he came off, everything sort of seemed under control. It was after he came off the pitch, the balance of the team maybe shifted somewhat and the capitulations in both games sort of set in. Yeah, absolutely. I think he actually provides something different in Liverpool's midfield that Liverpool missed probably with Cater, as Doyle said, bringing the ball forward and looking to attack. But I actually thought yesterday against Sheffield United that Chris Wilder made the two changes to get more control in the midfield because of what Jones was doing. He was controlling the game. He was getting forward. He was putting the defence under pressure. He was pushing them all back. And I actually thought it was really, really central to everything that Liverpool did. And I mean, it's a big claim from fear that he's getting ahead of Wijnaldum first off the bench. I guess it would depend on the nature of the game and where it was kind of at. But if you were looking to make an impact and you needed a goal and you need someone to drive you forward and attack and get between the lines and play the ball, you're bringing Curtis Jones on every time at the moment, particularly with Katie. I know he looked lively for a bit yesterday, but he's, it depends if he's still available at the end of the season, really, doesn't it, if we're in that position? And then, obviously, Oxley Chamberlain's kind of fallen behind Jones because Jones has done so well. So... Yeah, every every um, every credit to him, really. I suppose it is the one area of the pitch, Doyle, that Liverpool have options in midfield. It seemed when Cater came on, obviously you were there watching on, it seemed as though he sort of went into like a number 10 role and at times was even further forward than Roberto Firmino. And Jurgen Klopp, I suppose, will have those options maybe to play with if Oxlade-Chamberlain and, and Cater can keep themselves fit. I know that's a big if. It is a big if. Don't forget James Milner came on as well, so he's another option in midfield. So... 
I know it's 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 always been the case, hasn't it? People Liverpool have got a lot of players. Probably so many of them have been injured all season. There's never been a problem in terms of squad squad depth in that regard. And Curtis Jones has been a big winner in the sense that he's been allowed to develop because but he's had no other choice, has he? Let's be honest. He, he's he's had to play. So that that again is it reflects well on him that he's he's one that in times of difficulty he's actually led from the you know on the front foot. He's he's somebody who's taken on the responsibility without probably ever being told to do that he's just assumed it himself because that's a mark of his own character and his personality uh yeah i think liverpool in terms of the first choice midfield i don't think there is one and i think that's the whole point klopp's never done that has he he's he's always had midfield it's been a horses for courses although you know as theo said if there's a if, if they need to win the last game at home against crystal palace it will be interesting to see who's fit and who actually plays but a lot of football to play before then i think liverpool have learned this season more than any season that Got to take one game at a time. I mean, it's uh, another. Th- it's three games. It's Leipzig, but they got to, that's what's that's that's next week, next midweek, isn't it? And they got two more games before then Chelsea and Fulham. So a lot can happen. That's six points each game as it comes. I think Jones won't be starting all three, but then I, I don't think any of the midfielders will be starting all three. And I think that's what Klopp will want. He suddenly he's got these players available. He may as well use them. One man who might start all three is the man who seems to start every single game, Jeannie Van Alden, Connor. And how impressed have you been? It of of how impressed in him have you been? Sort of on the quiet of seeing him in that number six role. He seems to have really anchored that midfield. And I suppose it only really goes to highlight what a miss he'll be when he moves on. Obviously, with Fabinho and Henderson both injured. Yeah, massively. Um, I think if you take specifically yesterday's game, I can't remember him very much in the first half. To be fair. Um, I'm not sure he nearly needed to, though. But overall, I think Ronaldo is obviously, you know, someone we can talk about who is a mainstay of that midfield because of what he brings. He's very reliable. He's incredible at keeping the ball. He's solid in defence. He can sort of take you forward and take you back. He defends well. He brings the ball well. He passes well. You know, he's just so important to have somebody like that with Henderson out and with players like Thiago who want to play forward with maybe a Jones or a Cater who want to get forward, who want to look attacking all the time. You need somebody to sit a little bit. And obviously that's not the job he entirely wants to do or maybe he's even best at. But Liverpool have probably better players at that job going forward. So he sits deep and he does so, so, so well. And yeah, he will be a massive miss because obviously it's looking like he's going to go at the end of this season. I think what's interesting about Juan Aldum is that I think he started to like manage his minutes in the game. It's like, as Connor said, in the first half, he didn't really do a lot because he had that one shot, didn't he? Because he didn't have to. But then in the second half, he was, he was the one that was, as I said before, he was he was kind of running up to, to join the front three. Um, Always making it like a front five. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think he, he, I think he's learned, he's had to learn to play in this position. I mean, he played in it, didn't he, against Manchester City in the Champions League quarter-final? What was it? Like three years ago now when they won 2-1 at City. So it's nothing new for him. But it, as Connor said, it's not his fa- It's not his, it wouldn't be his favoured position. I think he's just learning because he's, they've had to rely on him all season. I think he's just learned to, to you know, not run around the pitch all the time like he'd, pref- you know, he'd want to. I think he's just having to be a bit more careful about it. And Sheffield United, the first half, he wasn't needed that much. Second half, perhaps a little bit more so. And, and Liverpool got the job done and he'll feel as though he can play again against Chelsea. Yeah, he seems to just, I suppose, add that balance even in that, that sixth role that, I suppose positionally and defensively that maybe Thiago Alcantara doesn't quite offer and it allows him even to be have the shackles off and play a bit higher up the pitch. But let's talk about Roberto Firmino. Theo, he thought he got his goal, then it was taken off him. Ian Doyle thought he had it until we <laughs> sat down to record this podcast. I'm, I'm devastated. I'm devastated. <laughs> yeah, well, Theo, what did you make of, uh, of, of Bobby's showing at Bramall Lane? 
Um, same old from him, as we've seen recently. A bit frustrating. He's shown his glimpses, his clever touches. It was really good footwork from him to uh, set up the own goal, shall we say, when he's jinked past a couple of defenders. But he, he seems to just sometimes make strange decisions when he has to think about it a bit too much. Like When he's one-on-one or when that ball's come into him, it'd just be easy to smash it in the corner. Then that's a monkey off your back. You're leaving Bramall Lane with a brace. He's leaving there with no goals at all. Um, he is still important to how Liverpool play. So we heard Sadio Mane only a couple of weeks ago saying he loves to play alongside him. He's like one of his favourite players in the squad. And Liverpool do lose something from Firmino when he's not on form. Like when he's on form, Liverpool win. That is pure and simple. It, it can be so crucial. And he has been one of the players that struggled most, I suppose, with Van Dijk being out, with the fullbacks not being able to get forward as much and um, Salah and Mane not being in the box as much. He's had more pressure on him, more bodies, and it's not quite worked for him. Uh, he's only showing glimpses, and there is going to be more stick with him not scoring goals. But he can get away with it as long as teammates are doing. So in a normal season, it's fine because Liverpool was still in the top three, top four. They haven't had half the squad out injured and everything's fine. But obviously, there'll be more pressure on him now. Um, you just want him to score a few more goals and offer a bit more because Yota's back now. There are going to be questions over whether Liverpool should sign someone in that attacking role for the summer. Obviously, we all know uh, Operation Mbappe is not going to go away until he actually signs for someone else. Um but it would be great for Firmino if he can do what he always does in his Liverpool career and steps up for the big moments. And what bigger moment than Chelsea at home in the next game? It's what he normally does. He scored against them at Anfield last season. Hopefully he does the same on Thursday. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We know this whole complex of playing at home and away maybe for Firmino, although he has scored three of his six goals at Anfield this season, but two of those against Leicester and Spurs, Connor, he does sort of seem to have the feel of a player away from home. He contributes an awful lot. And even in those big games against sort of the, the top six rivals at Anfield as well, but it's those low block sides, certainly at Anfield, that he maybe struggles against. Yeah, I just... I think he's sort of Firmino, the player Firmino is. Obviously, you saw with the second goal, he's got incredible feet, can get past players, and when he takes a shot, he creates the goal. But then, as Theo said, when he's one-on-one, he's got time to think about the shot. You can think it over the keeper, uh, the sides, it smashes it straight at him. It's, I don't know if there's a little bit of confidence with him. Um, he's obviously struggling a little bit. But it's the low-block sides where you think, when you think of Firmino, where he's the one linking up the play between the front two or spraying it wide and getting himself in the box and getting himself into dangerous areas. But where the ball breaks down probably a little bit earlier, Firmino has to drop a bit further back to get it. So he's not quite as effective in and around the penalty area as he normally would be. And as you say, be, as you saw last night, he can be so devastating within a minute of him inside getting into the box and obviously making the goal. Obviously, if Firmino doesn't shoot, we probably can give him that goal-ish because if he doesn't shoot, it doesn't go in. But if he's playing further back, and you do sometimes see him dropping back into midfield. And when he's there... It's fine. He's obviously working hard and he's working for the team, but it's not really where you want Firmino to be playing. And that's where you often find him with lower block sides because they're recycling the ball so much more and he has to change his position where he's going to get it. Is he, is he an easy sca- scapegoat, Doily, for being number nine who doesn't score all too many goals? I think sort of Sadio Mane's chances at Anfield recently, albeit tough ones, sort of the, the headers he had against City and Everton that he wasn't able to put in the back of the net. If, if he scores those in Liverpool, sort of hit the front and see the game out and, and win those matches, we're probably not sort of talking and debating as much about Firmino, are we? 
No, not really. I mean, it is Anfield. It's the problem for him, as you said. You know, it's another away game where he's done something and, and contributed. <clears throat> you look at you know the Leicester game, United, Tottenham, West Ham. You know, all of those games, he's he, he's done something. But as Connor said, it's these teams who, who defend deep. It just doesn't fit his game. And and as Theo said, the fact that Liverpool are about to change around their formation a little bit, it's uh, Salah and Mane aren't quite as prevalent in the box as normally they would be. So for me, that's just you know plowing alone, which is again, which is comes back to Curtis Jones, which is why Curtis Jones it, it, he made a difference by being able to get up there and give for me a little bit of help, somebody to, to play play off. Um, the Manny thing's interesting because I actually thought he did all right against against uh, Sheffield United, he, but he was kind of all over the pitch, wasn't he? Certainly in the first half, he was like he was back helping defend. He was getting up there. He was down them through the middle, but. Did he have a chance? I'm not sure he did, did he? I don't think he did. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have a chance. But does that then open it up for some of the other players? I mean, Salah had the one chance, didn't he, which we mentioned, which, which Ramsdale saved with his feet. So, in a way, for me, you know, actually, I know he missed the chance in the first half, but he, he forced the goal for the second one. He kind of did what you'd want a number nine to do, and he did get an extra, uh, you know, bit more space, which was surprising, really, against Sheffield United, because I thought they would have been a team who would have been... You know, another one to sit back, and they tried. They, they did try to do that in the first half, but Liverpool just kept hitting the ball over the top, which is something very unusual. They haven't really done that a lot this season since Van Dijk's been out, because he would be very good, not so much at hitting it over the top, but putting the diagonals out to Salah or Mane. So there was a little bit of a tactical change. Whether that helped was part of the reason that helped Firmino, but is he an, is he a scapegoat? Well, yeah, he is because he's the number nine who doesn't score as many goals as perhaps he, perhaps he should. But I think Liverpool. I'm not sure how many they've got in the Premier League now this season, but look at Firmino's goals, the ones that he's actually scored. Look at the two he took against Sheffield, uh, sorry, at Crystal Palace. Both of them were, he had a lot of time to think and he, he, he you know, took took a couple of touches and, and put it in so he can clearly do it. I think uh, he is a scapegoat, yeah, but I can understand why, but he's quite clearly, as, as, as the lads have said, he's, he's so integral to the way Liverpool play that you take him out of the team, are you, you going to play there? Divock Origi? Well, the thing is that Origi did play at West Ham, didn't he? Where Firmino came off the bench and, you know, set up a goal towards the end for Juan Alden. But Origi did all right then. But, you know, he's not been anywhere near as effective as he has been in, in recent seasons, which is why Firmino, there isn't really much other choice than to, to stick with him. Yeah, I suppose the argument maybe for Origi hit the bar, of course, against Burnley. But if he got a run of games, maybe that might help him. But anyway, we spoke about the the midfield and the attack. Let's move on to the defence. Doyle, I'll come back to you because you were you were at Bramall Lane and saw hmm. centre back partnership three hundred and twelve. I think it was for Liverpool this season. Three hundred thirteen. Come on, uh, right, yeah, <laughs> Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak. What are this duo? Um, well, it was first touch of the ball for Nat Phillips was to head the ball clear. And I'm pretty sure if I go back and look at the game, his last touch would have been to head the ball clear. And that's something that and that's something that Liverpool have lacked with uh, Van Dijk not being that well since Matip's actually been injured. I mean, F Fabinho and Henderson are both obviously very talented footballers and have played well in defence. But if you wanted to get at them, it would be the ball into the box. Um, but Phillips, he knows what he can can do. He knows what he can't do. You know, there was one bit in the second half where he got done for, for pace. I can't remember who it was on the on the. Uh, on, on the, the outside, Sheffield. wasn't it? Yeah, on Sheffield United left, wasn't it? Yeah, was it, was it? Yeah, but I think that happened against uh, Newcastle, wasn't it? It was Callum Wilson, yeah, as well, kind of the same. But that's twice, twice in what about seven or eight foot, 
appearances this season that someone's got past him, and it didn't it didn't matter to Liverpool. I think he's been I think he's been slightly unlucky not to play more often this season, in, in, in my opinion, because he's got as I say, he knows what he can do, he knows what he can't do. He, he doesn't try anything too too you know too special. But above all, on top of all of that, is that he's got the right temperament. You need to have a temperament to, to play for a team like Liverpool or any team that's up towards the top of the table. And he seems to he seems to have that. And you compare that to, unfortunately, Ozan Kabak, who, as I say, the, the, there's always the caveat of him being a 20-year-old who's coming to a, a different country, playing in a different league, having stepped up from a team who's been struggling in, in the Bundesliga to try and help save Liverpool's season. That's not easy, no, no matter who you are, especially if you're 20, 20 years of age. And he, he has struggled a little bit. And as I said before, that you know, Jurgen Klopp wants a bit more communication, and that's something that, that Liverpool are lacking with Jordan Henderson not being on the pitch. I think Adrian, who was in goal, he was quite vocal. He's somebody who he was like that. He was trying to he was trying to cajole the centre backs. I think Nat Phillips is somebody who's growing into that. You could hear him every now and again. You certainly could hear him at the final whistle when he was shouting "Come on!" when the uh, <laughs> he, he was leading the celebrations. Let's put it that way. Um, so I actually think. The Liverpool centre-back situation at the moment is Nat Phillips and somebody else. I think he's now the first choice. He has to be. He hasn't let anybody down. He's somebody, you know, it's not exactly come from nowhere, but if somebody has come in from the cold, could have easily been sold, couldn't he, back in uh, back in October. And he's shown himself to be somebody that Jurgen Klopp can, re- can rely on. And he's somebody who's obviously trained with the team for quite a few years now. So he knows the way that Jurgen Klopp works. And he, he, he offers something different to all the other centre-backs Liverpool have got at the moment. Well, apart from Ben Davis, who I'm starting to think might not even exist. Yeah, wondering where he is indeed. Uh, I was looking forward to actually going head to head with Joe Rimmer today. But heard last minute he he cried off to. Uh... He said hi, by the way. He said hi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, Connor, on the uh, on the centre back situation, then do you go along with Doyley then on Nat Phillips? I sort of think back even to Brighton away. He seemed to be all over the place at times, but every time he got the ball clear or he won the tackle, might not look great on the eye, but he doesn't seem to expose himself into situations that he knows he's going to get caught out. And he does seem to sort of see it, head it, see it, kick it. Just an effective centre-half, isn't he? Yeah, absolute head it and kick it FC, isn't he? But it's a little bit of what you need. Me and Fia were actually texting about this last night during the game. I thought Phillips looked absolutely solid again. As as we say, he's not let anyone down. He doesn't get himself into situations, like you said, that he knows he's not going to win. Okay, he's been beaten on the outside yeah, twice, as we mentioned, but... He is exactly what Liverpool need. He's stable, he's solid, he's good in the air. He has an aerial threat or an aerial presence that Liverpool just don't have without him. And then, yeah, you look at Kabak next to him. I know he said Kabak's 20 and obviously the situation, but, you know, Gomez is only 23, Nat Phillips is only 20. Like, he's not he's not like he's crazy young compared to some Liverpool centre-backs. And I'm as harsh as it might be, I'm really not sure what he offers Liverpool. Um, he doesn't look quick. He doesn't look strong in the air. It's harsh and he played a couple of games, but you compare him to someone like Phillips next to him, who says also relatively inexperienced, came from the Bundesliga 2, back to Liverpool, and has looked infinitely better, in my opinion. And as Dory says, he has to be first-choice centre-back now for Liverpool and it's whoever partners him. Yeah, it's first game in four that Ozan Kabak hasn't been booked as well for Liverpool, Theo. I suppose sort of small positives for him to take it in, in terms of that. But what have you made of him? Because unlike Phillips, maybe, he, he sort of has this tendency to step up last minute and try and play an offside trap with a defence that it seems as though he's obviously not settled because they're not played together before. But he's done it a couple of times now and he was he was nearly caught out by Ollie McBurney yesterday as well. 
Um, I think he's a disaster waiting to happen from what I've seen so far. <laughs> well, you kill, hang on, you killed Tiago a bit earlier on saying, yeah, he's not the future. And now, you know, how well. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, it was like the last one I was on where you just went through the entire team one by one. That's what I'm on here for. Yeah, there was one where um, Bernie got in behind him and he, he had the one where he towed it out for a corner. Fair enough. That's good recovery. But there was one when he was like leaning on the back. Bernie too much of the ball there, though. But there's one where he's pushing him on the back. It's like, well, Bernie could easily go to ground and claim a penalty there. He's not only had the player wrong side of him, he's got in behind him as well. And he's just, I don't know, not really on the same wavelength as the players around him. As Connor said, he's not quick. He's not good in the air. He's not vocal. What is he at the moment? Like, he doesn't have that strength that you expect from a centre-back to have. And it is tough going to a new league when you're 20 years old and that. But I think back to Joe Gomez, he, he was pretty much first choice when he was 19 in this Liverpool back four. And he would have been even younger if it hadn't been for injury. Now, granted, Joe Gomez without injuries is an exceptional young defender. And Ozan Cabot maybe isn't that same quality. But he is finding it hard to really show what he is capable of. Um, but then it is consistency. He's been thrown in at the deep ends. Like Nat Phillips has had a good few pre-seasons with this squad learning it he knows what his weaknesses are that's why he went on loan to Stuttgart they thought it was going to be a team for him that would get him to be a bit better on the ball so he could suit Liverpool more and I don't think we're in a situation where I'm going to say Nat Phillips is long-term future at Liverpool either but he's someone who probably what, what do I mean? he's out of contract Phillips now. <laughs> he's out of contract isn't he in the summer and you know when Virgil van Dijk's back Joe Gomez is back Joel Matip's back he isn't there he doesn't suit what Liverpool want from a defender but Liverpool have had to forget what they want in the defender this season because bodies are so short. They have had to just focus on going back to basics and defenders who can defend. And it's a pity it's taken them until February, March to realise that playing centre-back that can actually defend and is old-fashioned is the way. Now, as soon as Joe Gomez got his injury on international duty, Nat Phillips should have been first choice for the last few months. I'd have much rather had him there than Fabinho or Jordan Henderson. Not because they haven't done well when they've been in defence, but if you have them as that protective screen, Liverpool is certainly a much stronger unit. Nat Phillips, he's done nothing wrong. He he won't have a long-term future at the club just because he isn't what Jurgen Klopp wants from a centre-back. But he's been one of their players for the season so far, and credit to him. He definitely needs to keep his place. He might get done by pace so often, but the full-backs have got a bit of pace. They've got that recovery there. And if Fabinho is back for Chelsea... It's got to be Kabak who drops out. It'd be so harsh if it's Nat Phillips when he is playing as well as he is at a time when no one expected him to be anywhere near this squad at the start of the season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Staying on the centre-backs theme then and looking ahead to the Chelsea game then, as Theo references their doily, surely this is a big sort of... I know we're going to do our team selection. We'll talk a bit about Chelsea, but the pace they have at the top end of the pitch, the likes of Pulisic, Mount is no slouch, Timo Werner, Tammy Abraham, they've got quick players. Um, is that not a bit of a concern maybe coming up against Phillips? As we've said, he's had a couple run away from him in in sort of his few appearances that he has had. But who always scores against Liverpool? Giroud. So why would you not, why would you not play him? And then who's what's Jury good at heading the ball? And who's good at heading the ball? Nat Phillips. So that's the decision, you know, that's the decision <laughs> that Liverpool have to make. I mean, I'll substitute do the team in a bit, but I've, I've, I've nailed my colours to the mast. The soon to be sold or let go, according to Theo, uh, Nat Phillips is the uh, is the player who should be starting at centre back 
between the now Bol- and the end of the Canavaro. season, to be honest. What, Bol- sorry? Canavaro. The Bolton Cannavaro. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to mention Bolton, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll leave this one. I'll leave this one for <laughs> Theo. I won't, I won't bring up that association. But yeah, I think it is harsh on Kabak, but you know, needs must. And Liverpool need to get into that top top four. And it is, let's be honest, it is it is an audition for Kabak to persuade Liverpool to spend, I think, the eighteen million pounds, isn't it, to sign him on a on a on a permanent deal in the summer. And so far it, he hasn't really for the reasons we've just mentioned, he hasn't really been able to to shine. And, you know, unfortunately at top level football there isn't really much room for sentiment. And, you know, it's it's now up to Jurgen Klopp to make a decision whereby, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Nat Phillips is the main centre-back and then it's who he chooses next to him. It could be Fabinho, it, it, it could be, uh, in fact, no, it, it could only be Fabinho or Kabak, <laughs> someone else left, is there? <laughs> well, ben Davis, apparently, should he... Oh, ben should Davis, he, yeah, I can forget he, about it. I would, I would like to, just, just to clarify, he was injured. So yeah. that is the reason that he wasn't there. Although Reese Williams was on the bench again. And um, I'm just going to go off on a, a slight tangents, but... It's interesting, isn't it, how Reese Williams and Nico Williams don't play for the first team now, uh, or do, or barely play, but they can never play for the under-23s because obviously they're needed for the first team. So w- when are they ever going to get any minutes this season? It's been a tough one for them, and I think that's something that I'm not, not sure whether... 20 Nico Williams plays for Wales. Well, that's not Liverpool, though, so... Um, that's Red why. shirt, it's game time. Yeah, I'll tell you a point, though. <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Hang on, connor has got a red shirt on, so yeah, he's got game time for Liverpool, hasn't he? Yeah. A month ago, he probably would have done it centre-back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a point, though, Doyley. Like, I said, a bit of a tangent, of course, but it's massively difficult because if Liverpool, if the first team need those players on the bench, there's no yeah. way they're going to go and play for the under-23s. Exactly. They are with exactly. the first-team squad, regardless if they're going to get any minutes or not, and that's just the life of it. But as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old who's just sort of emerging in the game, just trying to break in, just trying to find your feet, prove yourself, get a little few games, and now just actually are just definitely sitting on the bench and bench only, difficult one to take. Yeah, Nico <laughs> Williams is the one who suffered more than anyone with that. I mean... Once again, I actually thought there was a chance that Simicast might have played yesterday, but <laughs> he's injured. Who knew? Um, so, uh, again. so uh, yeah. So, I mean, Liverpool have got what is it? Four games between now and March. What day is it? March the first. So, four games between in the next in the next fourteen days, with which they're all you know. Let's be honest. The position they're in now, every single game is important. But I think there's a chance for Simicast to be playing. Whether there's a chance for Williams to play, I don't know because I think Trent's. Suddenly, you know, not suddenly, but he's gradually played himself into some great form. I think he's definitely over the the dip that he had for the first half of the season, and he's, he's I think he's kind of taken it on himself to to start becoming the player that he was last year. Simicast played in the Premier yet, League. Yet. Has Simicast played in the Premier League yet? Uh, has he come on a sub? I think he came came on a sub against City. City, I think it's Premier League debut for the last couple of minutes, yeah. I think Robertson's the only Liverpool player to have started every Premier League game. I think there's only two others who have played in every game, and that's when Alderman Firmino. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You're waiting for him to start a game just because Robertson is going to need a rest at some point. Hopefully that's Fulham. I'd quite like Robertson to play against Chelsea. Simicast is only, yeah, he's only looking at it at five appearances, and as you say, just one in the Premier League, his last appearance on the uh, 7th of February, the... Uh, the defeat against Man City in the Premier League. But in terms of the game as a whole then, Connor, before we get into our team selections, Chelsea a point ahead of Liverpool, Liverpool two points off fourth as it stands. How big is this game in terms of deciding whether or not the Reds will end up in the top four? 
yeah, we talk about it all the time, don't we? But after the way these weekend's results went with the draw, Man United, Chelsea and Leicester and West Ham losing, obviously Liverpool winning, it put them right back in the mix. And it's another one of those games you think, massive statement, beat Chelsea and everyone's thinking, well, Liverpool are not going to relinquish this position. West Ham will be massively looking over their shoulders, thinking the champions of England know how good Liverpool are, know and out that they are, injured players coming back. It just is... It's a huge, huge three points for both clubs. I think it could play a big, big part in how the rest of the season plays out because you think you beat Chelsea and you go into Fulham full of confidence, thinking that's another three points on the board. Suddenly you've put three wins together, nine points, and you're probably sitting in fourth place with you know, your likes of West Ham and Chelsea now looking up at you again, thinking we've got to try and close the gap and bring it down again. So, yeah, it's, it's a massive, massive game and it's probably one of the bigger three points of the season. I know they're all going to be huge from here on out, but this feels like a really big one. Just it's like it almost be the start and let everybody know that Liverpool are here to play again, really. Yeah, and Chelsea have only dropped six points, three draws since Thomas Tuchel's come in, Theo. So it doesn't look, obviously, how they've started under him. Like they are going to be dropping all too many points. If that gap to Chelsea all of a sudden begins to open up, that's another team that... Liverpool have to try and sort of reel in, albeit Leicester have a fair few injuries clocking up now and, of course, cut two points back on Manchester United this weekend as well. Yeah, there's so many teams in the mix that it does make it difficult for Liverpool when you think that running out of games against the sides who they can take points off, so they're relying on these other results now and that's one of the reasons why you have to make this one against Chelsea count. Like They've already played West Ham twice, they've already played Leicester twice, haven't they? Doyle can correct me there if I'm wrong. But um, you, you'd probably see Leicester drop a bit now if the injuries stack up and they struggle to deal with it. They're going to have a mental block potentially after falling away last year. But then you've got the teams blow them as well that they need to keep an eye on. Like Tottenham looks superb this weekend. If Gareth Bale is in form for the rest of the season, they're strong contenders. Um, Arsenal, I'm sure you're enjoying a rare win for them when they actually look like a half-decent team. Uh, look at that little smugger in there. So Arsenal could play into form. They've still got Aston Villa, who got a decent win without Jack Grealish. There are so many teams in the mix challenging for Europe. And it's just waiting for that one team to pull away. And apart from Manchester City, no one is pulling away in the Premier League. Teams are going to keep dropping points. It's why Liverpool have gone from top of the table to sixth in the matter of, what, six weeks? Uh, so now against Chelsea, a team around you, if they win, they will go fourth. They'll overtake both Chelsea and West Ham. And that will be a mental blow for the teams around them. When Liverpool have been so poor for a good couple of months now, and they're still in the top four places, despite all the injuries, they've got to send out that statement. Yeah, only seven points behind Manchester United and six points behind Leicester as things stand. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's get into our team predictions then for the uh, game with Chelsea on Thursday evening. Uh, Dolly, I will start with you, of course, the goalkeeping situation. I don't think we probably uh, need to go all too much into if Alisson's available and ready to play. Of course, he will come back into the side. Otherwise, Adrian likely to remain in goal. But Dolly, back four? Well, Callagher's not fit, is he? So no. it, it would be. And I don't think they're going to put... Alisson's Liam. also been putting up some nice messages on social media, thanking Curtis Jones and stuff last night and giving up love and Yimwes and stuff. So I assume he'll probably be back. Obviously, Klopp as well said that yeah. he thinks he probably will be. So got hope for Alisson, really. Yeah, that's hard. And, and even, if, even if it's not Alisson, Adrian has kind of, I wouldn't say settled all the nerves, but he's kind of proven a point to himself that he he's, can be yeah. fairly solid when he keeps things basic, which is what he did. Yep. 
Right back, Trench and uh, left back, uh, Robocop uh, and sensor backs, uh, Nate Dog and um, and and Fabulous Senior. I'm going to stick him in there if he's fit. Right, okay. Anybody want to disagree with that other than uh, Dolly's nicknames? Uh, yeah, <laughs> all four nicknames, but all, all four players are the same. <laughs> yeah. Bolton Cannavaro starts for Fabinho. Preston Maldini has to wait. Oh, crikey! When will Ben Davis get his chance? Let's let's wait and see. Anyway, he's right. got to be fit. He's got to be yeah, fit. Be fit. Yeah, I know. And when he plays, I'll be straight on to Joe Rimmer saying, "Told you, he's not so bad." Anyway, let's uh, let's let's talk about the midfield. Theo, who's in the midfield? God, he was actually fit. Um, Naby Keita can start. Curtis Jones can start and Junior Wijnaldum can be the number six. So resting Thiago. Connor, do you go along with that? or I think probably I would stick with the same midfield that started against Sheffield United. Um, I'd go Ginny, Thiago and Jones. I think obviously Cater looked pretty lively, but given the game coming up, I think he'd probably make a better impact against Fulham. I think he played better in the Champions League as well, as we've seen so many times before. That's helped him. Um, I don't know if starting him against Chelsea is the one for me. I'm just being distracted by that goal against them last year. This is highlight of his Liverpool career. Let's see more yeah. of that. He did play well in that game, to be fair. He did play well. Well, didn't he? What about James yeah. Milner? Does James Milner get a shout for this kind of game? I completely forgot James Milner existed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sticking with my trio, though. Um, oh, I don't know, actually. You know, it's a tough one. I'm tempted just to play the, the, the same three again, but then you worry that you're just going to exhaust them a little bit um i mean it probably is going to be the same three because as as connor said i think cates is definitely going to play against leipzig against his former team and i think he'll get minutes against fulham i also think milner might play against fulham as well so yeah. that'll give people you know give the players a bit of a rest and if you've got someone like tiago you've got to play him against chelsea you, why well, would you take curtis you, jones out yeah i did as well at stamford bridge yeah and why would you take curtis jones out of the team and then you've got um you know, Ginny Wijnaldum is really the only person who can play in the defensive midfield role at the moment, unless they decide to stick with Kabak and Phillips and play Fabinho. For and, Fabinho uh, screen. Yeah. Oh, curveball. Um, I mean, that, that could happen. <laughs> that could happen if, if, if they're thinking that we've got to just retain a little bit of consistency in defence, which is funny. Isn't it? Having, having complained about it all season that there hasn't been any, we were immediately going, let's change it! I know this is a huge game, but if Fabinho's fit, does he come straight back in? Or do you not sort of think, well, got these run of games and then what is it, three weeks rest for, for Liverpool coming up? Well, I know he'll probably be with Brazil, won't he, in the international break? I was going to say, well, he was, he is fit and he didn't come straight back in. They didn't play him against Sheffield United, did they? So, hang on, we forgot Jota. Unless we're going to, oh, we haven't even got onto the, the forward line yet, have we? What am I talking about? Unless you want to put the yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> well, 43 1. Could do, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, the, 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 the three that played against Sheffield United is in midfield for me. Right. Okay. What about the, the forward line then? Uh, Connor, you can, you can lead us on this. Well, <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? With Jota obviously suffering with illness, we don't know quite how long that's going to last. It's only two, three days to Chelsea. So if he's ill for training, he's not going to be in team training. Klopp likes his players to have a couple of sessions together before any game. 
So I'm going to stick with the same front three. I would like Jota to play, but I just he's not coming in for this, I don't think. No, all right. Connor, uh, sorry, Theo, yourself, front three. Origi, Shakira, Yotta. Nah, it's the tried and trusted. Not changing it. And Doyle, are you bringing in Diogo or are you still? No, I'm, I'm going to go with, with Sele, Main, and Firmino. <laughs> right, okay. Salamane <laughs> uh, and Firmino, Ian Doyle. Comical genius as ever. Well, what about? Uh, I was going to wrap well, that, up. That was uncalled for, wasn't it? That was totally uncalled for. What, I'm, trying to bring a bit of, I'm trying to bring a bit of levity to this podcast and then you just berate <laughs> me. That's awful. <laughs> Sorry, I, I should leave that to Theo, to be honest. That's his speciality. But anyway, match predictions. Uh, start with you, Connor. 2 uh, 1 Liverpool, and I'll be very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Doily? Um, I think Liverpool can't lose. If they lose, that will be a bit of an issue. Um, go, to Theo and I'll come, go to Theo and I'll come, come back to that. Go, do, do Theo first. Do Theo first. Liverpool yeah. could lose, but it'd be a hammer blow for the season. But uh, yeah, Theo, yourself then? Win, lose or uh, draw? Win. 2-0. Two 2-0. Nil. Two nil. Two nil right, I, th- I thought about it. 2 all. Yeah. 2 all. Plenty of goals. Let's wait and see if that one does play out. Win if I draw. Yeah, it would be a lot more <laughs> goals than have been in the top six meetings for most of the teams this season. I mean, I didn't see Chelsea United, but I believe it was in yet another thriller. Yeah, it was an absolute threat. I reckon one nil. I reckon one nil. Liverpool. I think they can keep them out. Chelsea not offering much in in that game against Manchester United. But no, let's wait. Ask you guy. I'm just saying. I think they can win one nil. That's it. Right. Stop picking on him. Stop yeah, picking on Theo the Slayer. There. Yeah. Just destroying everybody. Yeah. Love you. that's it from us here on Blood Red before Theo takes anyone else down on this episode Uh, if you want to catch all the build up ahead of the game and all the post-match reaction of course follow us over on the Liverpool Echo website Blood Red will have plenty of content as well the live debrief after the game as well as both managers post-match press conferences but from myself Guy Clark Connor Dunn Theo Squires and Ian Doyle thanks for your time and your company it's bye for now You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.